You're listening to episode 82 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Well, I wanted to take a short pause from our normal interview episodes to give you a personal update and an update on my own publishing process. I talk a lot about publishing on this podcast, a lot about writing, and I thought it's probably worth it to you to hear an update on how my writing's been going and where I am in that publishing process. We're closing in on 100 episodes of the Pastor Writer Podcast in two years that we've been having these conversations. So I hope this episode is not only informative about the work I'm doing, but I can also share some of the lessons I've been learning over the last two years about about writing and publishing. As always, thanks for listening. I want to take a pause from our normal interview schedule for this week to give you a personal update and an update on my publishing. I've been scheduling several upcoming guest interviews, and there's some really incredible ones coming up. Uh, You're not going to want to miss them, so make sure you keep subscribed for those podcasts. But today, it's just me and you. It's been a busy few weeks for me as our church has been moving locations. One of our local Christian schools actually approached us about using their building on Sunday mornings, and it's been an incredible opportunity. As a small church, meeting spaces can be an unbelievably difficult challenge, especially trying to find a place that not only works for services, but has the kids' space that we need as well. It was such a blessing for God to bring about this unique opportunity, and I think it gave us all a real sense of God's leading. As a pastor, I'm always so thankful when my people get to experience and witness God leading our church and not me just sort of figuring out a solution to the problems. This move has definitely been that experience. This fall, my son also began kindergarten. I have two kids, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and so that's moved us into a new and a much more busy stage of life. We have a vacation coming up here, and it's almost bird hunting season, which is always one of my favorite times of the year. But I've still been writing. I've been working on a couple of articles for publication, and if you follow the Pastor Writer blog, you know that I've been working through a series on the topic of masculinity. I would really appreciate it if you'd check those out. I'm doing about an article a month in that series, and the topics are complex and usually landing somewhere around 4,000 words per article. Basically, I'm doing everything completely wrong and how you're supposed to blog, but a lot of what I've been doing on the blog is me trying to explore topics that I personally want to and need to understand better, and this series on masculinity has definitely been a part of that. I think defining Christian manhood deserves more than 300 words, and I'm giving it quite a bit more than that. I'd love to get your feedback on those articles if you're at all interested. Now, one of the things that I've been keenly aware of over the past two years of this podcast is how frequently I talk about books and writing and publishing and the increasing irony that I have not yet published a book myself. If you've listened to the podcast since the beginning, you know that I've been trying for more than the two years of this podcast, in fact. I have a completed manuscript, a proper book proposal, even a literary agent, but at this point, I still have no book contract. Uh, I thought it might be helpful for me to give you an update on that process and put some of that experience over the last few years into perspective. When I start thinking about any project, whether it's a sermon or an article or a book, for me that usually starts with a random, unorganized, unpunctuated mess of thoughts that I file in the Notes app on my computer and phone. Often I'll dictate those thoughts from my phone directly into the Notes app, and when I get back to my desktop computer, add more, rearrange, or copy and paste quotes. Most sermons actually start out this way for me, too. And I started digging back through that Notes app earlier this week, and I managed to find the very first notes 
in which I started thinking about the story of Samson. They date all the way back to July of 2016. That's now well over three years ago. That summer, I was preaching through the book of Judges, and those first notes are me trying to work out how I was going to cover the Samson story and what turned out to be three weeks within that study on the book of Judges. Now, when I finished that sermon series, I had this conviction that there was something more in those stories of Samson than I was able to cover given that short time. There was something about that Samson story that deeply resonated with me as I was studying it and preaching it, and also the realization that there was more there that I wanted to explore. Something about it resonated with me personally, but also in a way that I knew was resonating with many of the young men in my life like me. Something about Samson's restlessness, his discontentment, and his struggle to commit what God was doing doing right in front of him. This question of identity seemed so relevant to our time. So I kept reading and studying about Samson within the margins as I moved on to other sermon series. I still sort of kept my mind working on that Samson story. And all of these notes, this studying began to pile up in these long lists in my notes app, thoughts and quotes and outlines. I thought for a long time that I wanted to someday write, and something about those notes that were accumulated eventually turned into what I thought would be a book. Instead of choosing to do it as a blog, which might have been the simpler approach, for some strange reason I decided that what I had in front of me was a book. Books have played a massive role in my life, and so I think part of my motivation was wanting to do what has been so beneficial for me. So I started by working out a chapter outline. I uh, basically worked out 13 chapters that I thought would make up this major book on the life of Samson and his father Manoah and use it to look at questions of discontentment and identity in millennial men. I started writing. It really was that simple. I just opened a Word document on my computer, pulled up all of my notes and outlines I had been working to create, and started with chapter one. Eventually, that chapter became chapter two, but I had at least started. I've since learned that there is probably a better way, at least a more consistently advised way, to approach writing a book. You should probably start out with a very clear concept or a hook. Mick Silva, who comes up later on in this story, he introduced me to his vision form, which played a huge role later on, but is probably best used at the beginning to help you understand exactly what it is you're wanting to do and who you're writing for. It would also be good to work through those thoughts, probably in a book proposal. Most authors actually start with the book proposal and use the proposal to sell the book before they tackle writing the whole thing. I really did none of that, partly because I had no clue what I was doing. I pretty much just started writing. And honestly, I think it was probably exactly what I needed. I needed to prove to myself I could do it before I started talking about it and selling a proposal. I just needed to see myself write it. By the time I started writing, I had already been thinking about the Samson story for well over a year. My proclivity is to never start because I'm always still thinking and attempting to figure everything out and outline more. I needed to just start writing. Some things can only be learned by actually doing them, and I think writing is one of those things. Two months into that writing project, I had written three chapters. But I wasn't quite sure what to make of the three chapters I had written. I didn't know what I had. I didn't have any writer friends. I didn't know any professional editors or agents. I wasn't very confident about the writing I was doing because I had so little perspective about it. I wasn't even confident enough to show that writing to any of my personal friends. I didn't know what I should do with it. 
I didn't know even if I should continue writing or if I should take the next 12 months to pause and learn better grammar and punctuation. I just didn't know how to evaluate what I had created. Maybe the best decision I've made in these entire years of writing was to hire a coach for that perspective. I literally came across the website of a writing coach that seemed to resonate and I liked how he was talking about writing and I sent him an email and said, could I pay you to take a look at these three chapters and give me some thoughts and perspective on what I have? Surprisingly, he said yes and asked to set up a call to talk it over. That call didn't go exactly how I'd expected. I'd expected to receive everything back with sort of red marks, kind of like you would in school, working through and showing me how I could improve the writing. He didn't tell me I was Ernest Hemingway, but he did say that the writing was good, and the most important thing was that I kept going. I stopped worrying so much about how good it was and just kept writing to see what would come of it. As one famous writer put it, I believe that a good writer doesn't really need to be told anything except to keep at it. That's exactly what this coach did for the better part of 12 months. He helped me keep at it and see where the work went. For 12 months, I wrote. We talked monthly. He continued to encourage me to keep at it. We talked less about commas and adverbs than I would have thought and more about the ideas themselves. We talked about the need for a stronger introduction and rearranged my outline, and we discussed Rene Girard's theory of mimetic desire and also the inevitability of me having to write about Samson's broken sexuality if I really wanted to contend with the story. He also encouraged me to attend a writer's conference, which I ended up doing. Again, I knew nothing about this entire process, how it worked or how to go about it, but I did understand that a conference could be a good place to potentially meet an agent which it turned out to be. I got the chance to meet several agents at the conference, and one eventually offered me representation a few days after we returned from the trip. Now, this moved the project into the next major stage, the proposal refinement stage. I had what I thought was a decent proposal, but we ended up spending around six months reworking that proposal. Now, remember, the book is already basically written at this point. Now I have to be able to explain what I've done, what the book is, and the proposal was the tool for that. It's interesting to consider that we worked for six months, half the time it took me to write the entire book, in just putting together the proposal to explain the book. We debated how to describe the right audience. We went back and forth on proper working titles that captured the concept. We discussed even how to present myself as the author and why it was relevant to the topic. A publisher doesn't actually buy a book. They buy the book proposal, the concept and the author who's writing it. And you actually don't get to sit in the room and make the pitch for the book. The proposal does all of that work for you. And so in many ways, it's important to get the proposal right just as much as it is the actual book itself. I also spent quite a bit of time discussing with my agent the one challenge every author I know still struggles with, the need for a platform. When I first met my agent, I was a few months into this podcast, the Pastor Writer Podcast. I had a few hundred email addresses in the email list and a few hundred followers on social media. So the agent was correct when she pointed out we needed to take some time to continue building that audience if we wanted a chance at larger publishers. The best way to build an audience is maybe the hardest, time. It just takes time. Any audience that can be formed by dumping a bunch of money and 30 days turning it around into likes and follows is not a real audience. It just takes time for people to know the work you're doing, to be exposed to it, to read and listen and come to follow. I wish that wasn't the case, but it just is true. 
So we decided to spend an entire year blogging and podcasting and continuing to see how the Pastor Rider audience grew. In some ways, that was the hardest part of the entire process. The push-pause on the book that I was hoping just around the corner would be picked up, and instead just continue to be faithful to this audience. Now, the truth is, one of the biggest surprises of this time is how much I've come to love this podcast and this audience. The truth is, I think I would do all of it, whether the book ever got published or had ever come about to begin with. These conversations and the people I've been able to meet through it, both listeners and the people I've interviewed, have just fundamentally changed how I think about myself as a pastor, a writer, and been so incredibly beneficial personally. But it's still hard to wait. And to keep track of time, all of this, to add it up, means I spent about a year thinking and outlining the book. I spent a year writing the book. And between working on my platform and updating the book proposal, I spent another year. Finally, we were ready after three years to approach publishers with the project. Three years from having written those first initial thoughts about the Samson story. So, we created a plan for how we wanted to reach out to those publishers. We worked in a kind of tiered system where we had identified the publishers we thought would be the best fit for the project first. Now, if I was on my own, I probably would have taken any offer that would have come along from any publisher and been completely grateful for it. And it is no small thing to have someone, anyone, be interested in helping with your book. How grateful should we be for every one of those opportunities? But my agent really helped educate me and challenge my thinking on how we should approach trying to reach out to publishers. The Samson book, with its current working title being Unsettled, Every Man's Battle to Overcome the Restless Search for Who He Is, it has a potentially wide audience of men. We felt like the writing was strong enough to be published by anyone and knew that it would still be my platform numbers that would be the determining factor in who picked up the book. Still, we felt like it was a good fit for some of the large publishers. Every publisher offers something slightly unique, from the smallest niche publishers to the largest recognizable brands. And every book and author are different, making the selection of a publisher, and their selection of you, really, a unique process for every person and every particular project. Now, we were also trying to consider future publishing opportunities. I have two more books already outlined, one of which I've actually already started writing and working on. We wanted to try to find the best publisher for increasing the likelihood of future deals as well. Once you have a book published, the sales numbers of that book, that first book, are the largest factor in the likelihood of you publishing a second book. In other words, there is a lot to think about in that first decision you make on who publishes the book. And you need a, an agent, a really good one, to help you sort it out. I know I sure did. Now, all of this is to say, we had our list of those particular publishers we wanted to reach out to. And my agent went to work using that proposal we had spent so much time crafting. I went to work waiting and waiting and waiting. Three years of work and anticipation building up to now waiting and wondering what we would hear back. Somewhere in some office, some editor was reading my writing, or at least potentially if it came to the top of their to-do list. Though I had so often imagined it, to now be at that position was exciting and in some ways completely overwhelming. We did finally start to get some responses. It only took us a few weeks. A couple of no's to begin with because it wasn't quite the right thematic fit for the publisher. A no because they were already working on a similarly themed book. 
and some promising conversations that eventually also concluded in no's for now. I received no yeses to our initial pitch to publishers. But my agent did inform me that she had had some really interesting conversations in the process. As we had predicted, the big issue was the size of my existing audience platform. But the concept was good, and we received great feedback on the writing. And a couple of the publishers thought that we were close, even on the platform. Close enough that a few editors asked to possibly see it again in another six to eight months and reevaluate where the audience was. It's hard to put that response into perspective. If they had all said no because the writing was really bad, at least I knew what I needed to work on in front of me. But their no's were actually a kind of encouragement to just give it some more time. I love the work of writing, but waiting, waiting has proved to be the real test of faith in this entire process. So we decided to give it those six to eight months and reapproach. For six to eight more months, I would pause, continue to write blog posts, publish articles, keep up the podcast. But as far as the book, on hold. Honestly, I would do all of this even without that book to pitch. I love the podcast. I find these conversations incredibly enriching, as I've already pointed out. And slowly as I began to gain better perspective on things, those no's being turned down by publishers turned into a deep sense of gratitude for that opportunity and the one still to come. To put it really bluntly, I'm a nobody. I pastor a small church, which I love deeply, in Springfield, Missouri, not exactly the innovative culture-making center of America. Eventually, I began to recognize that this writing was going somewhere. It wasn't a full no. God had timing and plans which weren't mine to manipulate or control, and I felt incredibly grateful just for the opportunity to receive the feedback and to know where I am in that process. And though this audience may be smaller than some of those publishers would like, it is growing, and I continue to hear from you, listeners, all the time. There are still thousands of us, you in situations just like me, praying and writing and trying to find a way to do that faithfully and effectively before God. For that, I am deeply grateful and, in fact, incredibly humbled that you would be a part of this experience and this process. I guess if I was going to sum up where we are, there's a few lessons that I've been learning through this season. And honestly, these lessons might be more valuable in life than having a published book. I want to share a few of them with you. The first one is this. Just know... Often, writing is the shortest part of the process. Being read, well, that takes a long, long time to develop. And honestly, most of that is out of our control. You can write, but most of the control of knowing that you'll be read is not something that you ultimately have much control over. All you can do is keep writing. That is the thing ultimately God has called you to. He hasn't called you to a massive audience. He has called you to faithful work serving even just one. To those who do that well, maybe he gives more. To others, we find the deepest gratitude in those that he has called us to serve. The second lesson is this. You're going to need lots of outside help and perspective. Every good decision that I have made in this process has been in part by the counsel of coaches and a great agent. There are just too many variables and too much of myself that gets in the way of seeing things clearly. Godly counsel is a gift to be pursued, and I'm deeply thankful for those who have helped me so generously throughout the process. Number three, 
I've been working on this book for three and a half years. If you're going to do it, you also need perseverance. But maybe more importantly, you need to know when to take a break. The Sabbath was made for man. God hasn't asked us to push ourselves to the point of breaking. He calls us to Sabbaths to remind us that we don't control the future. Whether I ever publish is more a matter for his hand than it is mine. I won't sacrifice my family or my congregation to make it happen. Platform or not, when I feel myself starting to get desperate, it's time to walk away for a while. That may be the most important thing that I say in this episode. The answer is never giving up, nor is it going all in. It's knowing when to work hard and when to take a break. Everything depends on that. As a believer, we have the incredible gift of Sabbath, rest made for man. Don't waste it. Take a break if you need it. Walk away. Trust that God is working even when you aren't. And number four, finally, you have to learn to enjoy and be grateful for the process. God is doing more incredible things than you could have planned or predicted along the way. Earlier this year, I had a chance to write an article for Christianity Today. To be brutally honest about it, it was partly an opportunity to have an extra byline in my profile to help strengthen the proposal and show that I had worked with editors. I wrote the article out of a deeply held belief, that's true, but my goal was just to get it published. God ended up using it in far more ways than I ever could have imagined. The article produced thousands of interactions, has been discussed on podcasts and radio shows, and has created hundreds of emails from readers who reached out to me to share their own stories and struggles in ministry. Did it mean that I instantly had a publishing contract for a book? No, it did not. But it showed me that God can use my writing in unexpected ways to do much bigger ministry than I could have planned or figured out for myself. He showed me that he really is at work, even when I may have totally different objectives for it. It has turned out to be one of the greatest gifts of my ministry and one that I hadn't planned, worked, or predicted at all. This podcast is a perfect example of that as well. We just passed 70,000 downloads and are closing in on 100 episodes. I get to meet and hear from listeners like you every week. I'm so grateful for that opportunity, and yet it's so easy to fix my eyes on the publishing goal and miss the incredible work God is doing right in front of me. It's to my own embarrassment and shame, I admit it. I don't ever want to do that. I want to keep my eyes fixed on the work God is doing. Eugene Peterson once expressed it this way, the pastor's primary responsibility is to help people maintain their attentiveness to Jesus. As writers, that's the core of everything we do in writing. We must make sure it's how we live our lives as well and how we publish books and publish articles. And how we publish and how we serve an audience and how we plan for future writing our attentiveness maintained on Christ. So I wanted to take this opportunity to give you that update, but also to say thank you. You really are the gift that all of this work has been producing, and the joy of doing it with you is not something that I take lightly. Um, oftentimes when I have pastor guests on, or as I feel led by the Spirit, I'll ask guests to close out in prayer. I realized I've never done that on the podcast myself that I remember, so I thought it would be appropriate if you would allow me to pray over the work we're both doing, your writing, my writing, and however God is choosing to use it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the greatest gift is to be able to serve you and to be a part of the way that your kingdom is coming on this earth. 
God, I feel like for me, that involves writing and pastoring. And I know for many listening, it involves those components as well. But God, I don't want to ever presume in how you have called to use me. If it is a published book, great. If not, God, any participation I have in this kingdom is by grace alone and an unbelievable opportunity for me to be a part of. I don't want to lose that perspective. I don't want those listening to lose that perspective. But we also want to be faithful to what you've called us to, loving the faithfulness itself. And so we pray, God, that you would fill us with perseverance and joy and hope and a love for the work that you call us to. That, God, when it is needed, we would work hard and diligently and faithfully. And, God, also when it is needed, we would learn to take our hands off of that work, to rest, to be with family and friends and congregations, and to be full of joy, even when things may not be unfolding on our timeline. And we trust, God, that you are the one who ultimately fulfills all things that you've called us to. Today, we place our work in your hands, our writing in your hands, our lives, our identity in your hands, and say, Wherever you lead us, God, we will follow. And it'll be our greatest joy to follow you wherever that is that you're leading. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 82. It would also mean a lot to me if you would take the time to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, and if you haven't already, to subscribe. If you've really been enjoying the show, telling someone about it is really the best way to help the podcast grow. And as always, if you don't receive emails or updates on new episodes, you can do that by subscribing to the Pastor Writer podcast email list. You can do it on the website or send me an email anytime with any of your thoughts at chase at pastorwriter.com. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.